You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. I will say this. Reading through the Bible every year, I was challenged by Mike Calhoun, a mentor, dear friend, uh, when I was around 30 years old. And it has been easily the most significant discipline of my life, spiritual discipline, is reading through the Bible every year. So I'll say a few more things about it uh, next week. But let me encourage you. I did chronological this past year. I'm doing the one-year Bible, the New Living Translation this year. If you've never read through in the New Living Translation, I would encourage you to do that. Just a couple of announcements I, I want to follow up on that have already been given. Next Sunday, Discovery Lunch. If you're new to Grace, if you when I say if you're new to Grace, if you've been here three or four months and you haven't really met a lot of people, you have some questions, we're going to have a lunch after the service. I, I can't remember. I think it's I, I, often it's duck confit, you know, and uh, like lobster bisque ahead of that. It's either that or it's subs and pizzas. But it'll be good time together next Sunday. We're going to meet over here. But you need to, you need to uh, sign up online. We really need that. Uh, also, there'll be a, a sign-up sheet, out, sheet outside at our Next Steps table. You can sign up there if you want to. But even more important, Grace Connection January 20 and 21st, it's uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, that's where you're going to learn about what we believe, how our church is structured, how we function, opportunities to serve. And, and so be there for that. Sign up for that as well online. Thank you very much uh, for enduring these days where we're a little packed in next Sunday will be a little lighter when we have uh, two services, especially if you're at the second service. Well, to get, as we get started this morning, I'm going to ask all the children, if you will, come up again uh, from uh, fifth grade down, eighth graders, hold your position. You're not invited for this because I'm sure you're dying to get up here. But all the kids, if you want to come up and we'll spend some time talking about a different topic this week. Does anybody remember what we talked about last week? Love. Yes, that's right. Love. All right. And, and we said that God showed us his love lots of ways. He made us. He gave us parents. He does good things for us. But what's the main way we, we saw that God loves us or talked about? Yeah, he died on the cross. He sent Jesus, his son, who was God. So God died on the cross for us. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Can anybody tell me what forgiveness is? Gemma. Yes, he does care about it. And if you forgive someone, you care about it. Anyone else? Forgiveness is not it's deciding not to be mad when somebody does something wrong to you, right? If you, if you are going to forgive your brother or your sister, that means, okay, even though you hurt me, I'm all right with that, or I'm not going to be mad at you. Is it easy to forgive someone who has hurt you? No. No, I don't think it is at all. Not usually anyway. 
Why should we forgive someone who has hurt us? These are much tougher questions than last week, Rosie. That's right, because we love them. And because God loved us and he forgave us. And he wants us to love other people and to forgive them. Uh, what about when we have done something to hurt someone else? What should we do? All right. We should forgive them if we've hurt them. Okay, or if they've hurt us. But what if we hurt them? We should say sorry. Okay, let's think about that for just a minute. What a, is this a really good way to say sorry? Sorry. Or, um, I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry, okay? So let me have some food or let me have that toy I want to play with. I said I'm sorry. Is that a good way to say I'm sorry? Why not? Because you're really not sorry, are you? Yeah, that's right. No, you're not sorry. Sometimes saying that you're sorry is enough, but sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you need to ask people, would you please forgive me? Do your parents ever make you say that when you've done something wrong? I'm sorry. Did they make you say I'm sorry? And then sometimes they say you need to ask them to forgive you. Did God forgive our sins whether we ask him to or not? I mean, he loved Jesus enough to die for us. Our parents loved us enough to forgive us when we've done something wrong. So do we need to ask God to forgive us? Yes, we do need to ask God to forgive us. Remember from last week, we're sinners, and sin can't live in God's house. So it's important for God to know that we're sorry for our sins and that we're really glad that he did something about our sins. It takes a lot of courage to admit that you've done something wrong, doesn't it? What happens a lot of times... We might even be tempted to lie when our parents say, did you? You're going out to play. Did you clean your room? What are we tempted to say? Yes, when we really didn't clean our room. That's, that's an easy one to get busted on, though. You do know that, right? Your, your mom can just walk right into your room, and you can see. Um, are you ever tempted to lie if you took something that belongs to your brother or your sister and your parents say did you have did you take that no i didn't take that well the bible tells us that when we ask god to save us that we should repent of our sins and to believe that jesus died for our sins so that we can go to heaven one more question i want to ask before i talk about that more do you ever try to make excuses for things that you've done like for instance, say you say, well, he stuck out his tongue at me. That's why I hit him. Or he was mean to me. So, of course, I did what I did. But we really shouldn't make excuses for our sins. When your mom fusses at you because you were unkind to your sister, I bet that a lot of you say, you are so right, mother. I will go and apologize to her right now. <laughs> Is that what you do? Sister, please forgive me. That was wrong of me. Or do you say, well, she started it. Is it true repentance to say, you're right, mom, or to say, sorry? 
Which one is true repentance? I'm sorry, mom, right? So I'm going to ask you a hard question. It, it, it's not that hard, but you might need to think about this answer. Do you wish your parents did not make you tell your brother or sister sorry? Do you wish they would say, oh, it's okay. You did. <laughs> now we have an honest one up here. And this is what honest, honesty is a big part of the message today. One day, you're going to be really, really, really glad that your mom made you tell someone you were sorry when you hurt them. Can I ask you to do yourself a big favor as well as making your parents' lives much easier by encouraging you to listen to their correction and don't make excuses when you've done something wrong. The next time your parents say, Nora, why did you do that? You say, you start to say, oh no, I, I didn't do that. Just say, well, it was wrong for me to do that. I'm sorry. Everyone who promises to do that for the rest of your lives while you live at home with your parents, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. You don't have to. I don't want anybody to be lying here, okay? So now, all right, you can go back to your seats. Thank you. So as they're making their way back to their seats, I want to encourage you parents that your kids are probably going to be really, really good friends one day, but it's just not going to be while they live under the same roof, roof at your house. And you're doing a far better job than you think you are. So be encouraged. Encouraged, not couraged. You, you need, we need to be encouraged to raise kids for sure. Well, the title of today's message is Repentance and Forgiveness. And the text is 1 John 1, 1 through 2, 2. That's a lot of ones and twos. Uh, 1 John was written by the Apostle John, and it was written to <clears throat> believers whose beliefs were being challenged by false teachers. Like the Gospel of John, the letter of John that he wrote to church friends is both simple and profound at the same time. There are a lot of profound truths in the 12 verses that we're going to look at today. And here are a few things I wanted you to be aware of as we read. I was going to read the whole text, so I had put these things to be looking for, but we're just going to read the first four verses together in a moment, and we'll read the others as we come to them because of time. But the first thing is this, John's insistence that Jesus was God in the flesh, not a spirit, not an idea, and the deeply personal relationship that the Savior has with believers. Now, um, Kyler already read the first four verses. We're going to read them again. You can get a sense of, of excitement that the Apostle John is, is emoting with, with his words uh, to, about Jesus, but he's also making a very specific point this was God in the flesh. He was a man, not a spirit, inhabiting a body, a lifeless body that came to life when he came into it. He was fully man as well as fully God. The second one is the seriousness of our sin, even as believers. Third, the temptation to hide or deny our sin. From the get-go, Adam and Eve... God said, where are you? 
He wasn't saying that to find out where they were. He was wanting them to acknowledge what they had done. We hid ourselves. We sinned. We hid ourselves. So we didn't want you to see us like this. Then also, we see, though, in these texts, the beautiful remedy for our sin. And last, the links to which God was willing to go to forgive our sins. So we're going to read the first four verses together. Then I'll point out a few truths from the text and finally bring application for us. Would you please stand, as is our custom, for the reading of God's word? First John 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning. Sounds a lot like John's gospel, doesn't it? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you and be seated. This letter that John wrote to his friends in a church probably somewhere close to Ephesus was likely written in the last quarter of the first century. Much of the Greco-Roman world was moving toward an extreme dualistic philosophy. They sort of built on Plato's ideas and took them to an extreme. And it wasn't full-blown at that particular time yet in the church, but it was coming. And thankfully, 1 John and the Gospel of John particularly addressed the problems that would be a little bit later in the church The material world, this philosophy said, is evil. Everything about this world is evil. But the spirit is good. And in fact, people were taking it to extremes and saying the spirit is really good. The flesh is so bad that there's nothing you can do with it. Don't worry about it. Even if you sin, it's no big deal. It's just a human body. But inside of you, that's what really counts, the spirit. And so you shouldn't feel so bad about your sin. So there were at least two ways in which this philosophy led to bad theology within the church. First, there were those who said that the spirit of Jesus inhabited the shell of a human body, but it was only the spirit of Jesus because for Jesus to be fully human would be unthinkable since the material world is evil and he was pure And good. But the New Testament authors would have none of it. They said Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. In the first four verses of his first letter to the churches, the Apostle John said, There there is no way this heresy is going to get started on my watch. I saw Jesus with my own eyes. I touched him. I listened to him. I smelled him. Look, everything, I was with him, 
for three to three and a half years, and I know he was real. He was a real human, and he was fully God, and I proclaim this Jesus to you. And if you believe this, then we have perfect fellowship with one another and with God. Now, the second way that bad philosophy was affecting the church was the idea that if you sin, I've already said it, it's really no big deal because it's only your body sinning. In our day, that probably sounds something like, well, look, when I got saved, God forgave my sins, past, present, and future. Is that true? Yes, it's true. That's true. But if you take that to an extreme, you'll be saying, yeah, God's already forgiven those sins, so it's no big deal if I sin. John deals with this faulty notion in chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2, by making his point about our sin and the need for repentance and the promise of God's forgiveness. And he makes his point in three different stages or three different cycles where he talks about sin and then the remedy for sin. Verse 9 is one of the most well-known verses about forgiveness anywhere in the Bible. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is this verse written to unbelievers or to believers? And let me quickly say the answer is not yes. It's one or the other. This verse is written to Believers. So how can we know that that was written to believers and who John's targeted audience was? There are two ways. <clears throat> First, the apostle John told us both why he wrote his gospel and then he also told us why he wrote that letter. First, John's gospel in chapter 20, verse 30, very near the end of the book. Now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples. This is after all the things that we've read about in John's gospel, the miracle at Cana, uh, the raising of Lazarus, Jesus' death, his conversation with Nicodemus, everything, death, burial, resurrection. At the end of the book, he says, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book, this gospel, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the gospel of John was written to proclaim truth to unbelievers. First John, however, had a different purpose, and John told his readers his purpose at the end of that letter that he wrote to them in chapter 5, verse 13. <clears throat> I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So John's gospel, I'm writing this so that you will believe. Now in this letter, he's saying, I'm writing this so that you might know, you might have assurance, you might understand fully that you already belong to this Jesus. John's gospel targets unbelievers John's letter is written to give comfort to believers. The second way we know that 1 John is written to believers is because of the Greek grammar that John 
uses. You don't need to fully understand this to get to the benefit of the truth, but if you'll hang for just another moment, hopefully then this will make more sense. In his letter, John, in this letter, 1 John, he often uses the present tense to make his point that certain Christian activity is ongoing. When we use the present tense, we might say, I eat lunch. I will eat lunch at a certain time today, or I'm eating lunch. The Greeks would use it in this way. I am eating lunch, and I will continue to eat. I am eating. I am doing this continually. Not continuously without interruption, but on a regular basis, I am doing this. So, for instance, the confession in verse 9 is not a once and all for all confession of sins that happens when we are saved, but rather it's an ongoing practice. It is not written as if, as if we have confessed our sins in the past and we have been forgiven and you never need to worry about that again. But rather it's written this way. If we are confessing our sins, then we can be certain that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So, <clears throat> don't be confused here. And I know you probably might be. I'm a little confused myself, so I'll have to straighten this out if I possibly can. Um, when you confess your sins and when you come to Jesus for salvation, you are saved. That's it. It's a done deal. There is no way you have to keep confessing your sins in order to keep being saved over and over again. One time, it's done. But this confession is of a different sort. So we've talked about, I've talked about this a few times lately, <clears throat> but I'll say it again. You remember when Jesus came to wash his disciples' feet. Now, now just imagine this. The, the, the lowest of slaves, the low slave on the totem pole was the one who washed feet. Nobody had washed anybody's feet at that last supper where Jesus is there with his disciples. None of the disciples were going <laughs> to... It's, they were thinking, it's beneath me. I'm not about to wash that. Let, you know, let, let Thomas do that. I'm not doing that. He's low man on the totem pole. I, I, I'm not doing that. Well, when Jesus got up to wash their feet, they were stunned. Just imagine. Their, their feet are dirty from walking on the, 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 the Roman streets and the dirt roads. And some of them paved, but a lot of dirt around so Jesus starts washing their feet. He gets to Peter. And he says, uh, you're not washing my feet. I'm not having the Messiah, the Lord of glory to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, I have no part with you. We're not related. And Peter's like, Lord, my head, my head, my whole body, please wash me. He said, no, no, you don't need that. He that is bathed, if you've been freed, if you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, if your sins are forgiven, you don't need to be washed over and over. You're saved one time, but your feet get dirty in this world. And you need to keep your feet clean so that we can all relax here in this gathering. It, it, it just wouldn't do to be in a home in, in the first century where everybody had dirty feet. No, that's why you, you had your feet washed at, at the door when you first came in. But again, it was the low man on the totem pole who had to do it. 
Jesus did it. So in other words, even though believers have been washed by the blood of the lamb, our feet get dirty. And so confession of sins or repentance is an everyday necessity. I mean, you don't go into someone's home in the first century and they say, look, let, let my slave here wash your feet. And, and you say, no, 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 I just had my feet done two or three days ago. I'm, I'm okay. No, your feet are dirty. They need to be cleaned. It's the same with our sin. Now, if you are confused and say, but I got saved by this very verse, 1 John 1, 9, that's when I got saved. That's okay. It's the same process. It just has a different meaning. It's once and for all, but then we keep confessing our sin to have good fellowship with the Lord. <clears throat> we confess our sins not only so that we can have communion with God, but communion with God and his people. It's not that you need a, a long shower to get clean again. You just need the dust of this world washed off your feet so that you can be comfortable in the Lord's presence. And great mystery and blessing. Jesus is the one who washes your feet. Now think about this. When we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sins. The forgiveness, forgiveness always costs the person who is doing the forgiving something. It's almost, it's not as if Jesus is dying on the cross again. But it is as if he's washing our feet. We're saved through his death and he forgives us. By taking care of our sins. So let's jump into verse 5. In the next several verses, Jesus identifies three cycles of sin, repentance, and forgiveness. He starts with, with one sort of sin, then another, then another. And uh, verses 5 through 7 give us the first cycle. And this is especially important for teenagers. So if there's a teenager near you that is asleep, please wake him or her up. I don't want to have to slam the pulpit. I used to be worried about doing that and giving somebody a heart attack. Now I worry about giving myself a heart attack. So I, I can't, can't do it. Verses 5 to 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if Jesus is light and sin happens in darkness, something is wrong when a believer <clears throat> is secretly walking in darkness and loving it. We're lying to others if we claim to be walking in the light, but we're secretly walking in darkness. There's a word that describes a person who does one thing and says another. What is it? <laughs> Hypocrite. 
It's why community is so important. I appreciated that about Ricky's talking about the word and how important it is to be accountable. <clears throat> I don't know if I'd read the Bible all the way through this next year if, um, if I hadn't told you that I'm going to be doing it. Man, I was making up time these last two weeks, I can tell you, uh, in the New Testament, trying to get through. We help each other to be honest about how we're living. We don't have to do that harshly. We can do it gently, kindly, caringly, saying, hey, I, I just don't know if that's the best attitude. Or I don't know if that's really what you want to do. If we fail to apply the remedy, we start a downward progression that keeps, gets us deeper into trouble. Look, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins. When we remember that God will forgive us when we confess our sins, <coughs> that's a good deal. But if we refuse to do that, we start getting into trouble. Once again, though, there's not only a problem, but a remedy in the next cycle, verses 8 through 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the deal. If we keep lying to others about who we are, pretty soon we'll start to believe those lies. You ever know somebody like that? I mean, they can't tell the truth from deception. They are saying things so often that they start to believe their own lies. When we reach this point, the truth is no longer in us because the truth dwells in light. And the one who refuses to acknowledge her sins is walking in darkness and cannot discern truth from lies. Children, teenagers... Adults, husbands, wives, roommates, listen to God's word. There is danger in refusing to acknowledge your sins. When someone points out sin in your life, do you humbly receive their critique or become defensive and justify why what you did was not wrong or at least given... This is one of my favorite lines. This is not... A defense, it's just an explanation. That's the one I, I like to use. And if you don't believe me, you can ask out. Al- no, maybe better not to talk to Allison about, about this, if you would. Look, when you're young, it can feel like being honest about your sins is not worth the consequences of owning up to them. I can assure you, though, the consequences at this stage of your life are nothing Compared to what they will be when you're older if you keep this pattern up. Now is the time to come clean and establish a pattern of honesty in your life. And that's extremely difficult for any of us. What better time though than right here at the first of the year. I, I, I was reading. I, I, Allison and I have been reading a lot of different things for Advent this year. And I think it was a G.K. Chesterton Quote, who essentially said, if you don't make resolutions at this time of the year, when will you make any resolutions? I know, I know there's, there's a, it can be very legalistic and law-based sort of, and we're about grace. 
But really, this is a time, a good time to evaluate and say, Lord, help me to make these changes. You live in me in such a way that I'll do better with this. There's a remedy for the predicament that you're in when you can hardly tell the truth from lying. Even when you're tempted to think what you are telling is only a little white lie that's not doing anyone any harm. It is doing damage to your soul. But Jesus will put you on the back on the right path in short order if you confess your sins. The English word confess comes from the Greek word homologeo, which means to agree with. In other words, we, to confess our sins means to say, yes, God, you're right. I agree with you that this is wrong and that it's ugly and that it's bad. And we confess our sins by doing that. If we agree with what God says about our sins, then we can be assured that his character guarantees our forgiveness. But we cannot be coy about our sin. We must come clean with God. And sometimes it will involve coming clean with others. But far better now than later. So there's a third cycle that we see in this lesson in 1 John 1 verse 10 through 2. 2. It's bad news for the one who has refused the beautiful gift God's beautiful gift of repentance and forgiveness along the way. It's rock bottom, verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, the way we do this might look something like this. That's not what that verse means. Let me tell you what it means. Or like the people in Ephesus were doing. It's no big deal if I sin with my body because my spirit is pure. It's been saved. It's been washed clean. We make scripture to to say anything we want it to say if we have the right philosophy. That's why philosophy must be undergirded with theology if it's any good at all. Another way this fault manifests itself is for us to call evil good and good evil. One of the ways that you can say that you make God a liar is just to say, look, that may have worked back then, but it doesn't work now. Come on. Don't you see how the world has changed and evolved? You can't really be burdened with those old ways of morality. And so we pray, Lord, Let me never come to this place. When we ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, we're often surprised to find and discover just how far along the hiding and denying path that we've traveled. When we read the first part of 1 John 2, 1, our hearts might even sink My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Is there any hope? If that's God's desire, how can I possibly be saved if, look, this life of 
The Christian life is supposed to be a life of peace, but guilt is my constant companion because I keep messing up. Well, first of all, let me just say, I understand your angst. I identify with your angst. When we love God because of what he has done for us, we want to please him and to live for him. When we see and experience One failure after another, we feel guilty and wonder how God can possibly love us. In fact, we feel like we are slaves to guilt. But in reality, there's a freedom that is in our hearts when we hate sin and we hate the sin in our own lives. Look, when we no longer hate the sin in our lives, that's when we're a slave We're a slave to sin, and we don't even know it. When we accept our sin, that's just who I am. Well, that's slave talk. But how can I come to God yet again with my sin and expect him to forgive me one more time? Our text answers the question. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you do not sin, that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He's talking to Christians, remember. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. When we confess our sins and he's saying, Father, forgive her. I died for her. Father, forgive him. He belongs to me. <clears throat> Why should the Father listen to Jesus? Because his blood is the propitiation for all sinners who confess Jesus as Lord. I'm not going anywhere near the theological hornet's nest at the end of this verse, so just settle in and just get over it if you want me to. But, if, but know this, if you belong to Jesus by faith, your sins are more than covered. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. And what a great way to start the new year, to know that we are forgiven like that. God's wrath against sin is a righteous wrath. He is holy, and our sins are an offense against who God is and what he has done. The Old Testament often speaks about the cup of God's wrath being poured out on sinners. Many, many times. But Jesus, when he took the cup and held it up and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many, for the sins of many. He was taking God's wrath upon himself. That's what propitiation is. But propitiation is not just God is satisfied. Okay, Katie, but I'm going to let you in because of Jesus. No, his wrath was exhausted on Jesus. There's nothing left. Now, we know what that kind of exhaustion of anger is in a very human, fleshly way. Just imagine a righteous wrath 
that is exhausted on Jesus. That's propitiation. So does this sort of knowledge make you want to say, wait, are you saying that God forgives me because of what Jesus did and I can live any way I want to? Cool. Nah, I doubt it. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, you want to please the one who gave his all for you. And so here at the end of the sermon, um, we're so far in, I only have time to give three points of application instead of five or seven or whatever. What does all this mean for us? Look, these three points are self-evident. You should have no trouble filling them in for yourself. The first is this. The Christian life begins with confession and repentance of sins. And it must continue until the day you stand before Jesus. Martin Luther had it right when he nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg church door. The very first one is this. When Jesus said, repent, he willed that the entire life of believers is to be one of repentance. We never get over saying, Lord, please forgive me. For my sins, I acknowledge that I have sinned. It is a great gift when you think about, and and freedom when you think about how you can confess your sins completely honesty, honestly to God. Look, there is something that you have done. Just imagine this morning, you know, if we said, Kyler, the announcements were good and we've got quite a treat this morning. We have captured on video the worst thing that you have ever done, and we're going to show it on the screen in just a little bit. I'm telling you, even though Kyler is as far as he can be from the door, he's going to be making his way out of here in very short order. And then he's going to be ready to kill me after after this is done. You can bring that sin. You can bring the worst thing you have ever done to the Lord without making an excuse. Without being afraid that God is going to reject you. Because I know we died for sins. But this one, this is a little much. None of that. You can be that kind of honest. And repentance at that level is really all that matters. And it's the only way you're going to have freedom. When you start trying to justify or make excuses for your sin... Or, Lord, this is the way I am. I am the way I am because of this, 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 or this. You're still a slave. Keep short accounts with God. Don't let your sins build up so that you need long confession sessions. When you sin, confess it to the Lord right then and there. Second, walking in the light requires knowing God's will and being honest about your sins. Like if we're going to walk in the light, we're going to need to know his will. Arguments against God's ways are tailored carefully con- to confuse you about right and wrong. You can walk out of here, get on Facebook, X, Instagram, whatever you want to, and all of a sudden you can be questioning <laughs> because there are very carefully tailored arguments. You need to know what God's will 
is the best way to avoid confusion is to know what God desires for his children to be honest where you fail to measure up. And the best way to do that is to recognize the truth of the last point. The closer you are to God's word, the closer you are to the light. So stay in God's word. So here's a question that we can all answer with enthusiasm. It's the answer that wasn't the answer earlier. This year, in 2024, should you really focus on having a quiet time or reading through the Bible? And the answer is yes. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, it is not without difficulty that I've delivered this message today because I've been sitting with this truth that is beautiful and it's difficult at the same time. This week and the Holy Spirit has been gracious to show me the ugly parts of my soul. But thank you, Father. There is the beautiful gift of being able to be honest about my sin before you and the beautiful gift of forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus. In this new year coming up, may our hearts be led by the Holy Spirit through your word to Lean into our identity with Christ and may Christ be seen in us according to your beautiful and perfect plan. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.